and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, as many of our loyal listeners will know,、uh, coming up in December is a milestone in China-Africa relations. Every three years, there's something called a FOCAC summit, which is the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. Now, this comes again, as I said, every three years. This is the sixth summit that's coming up. Sometimes they're conferences, sometimes they're summits. And what we're going to be doing between now and December is running a number of different shows that kind of look at the China-Africa relationship surrounding FOCAC and what will be some of the issues that will be raised in the upcoming FOCAC. And also, I want to put a little bit of a shout out to the work that Kobus and I did in partnership with the Vitz China-Africa Reporting Project, creating reporting-focac.com. That's reporting-focac.com. Where we've really dived into the basics and all the key issues about FOCAC, and it was a site designed for journalists who will be covering FOCAC, but it's certainly of interest for everybody、uh, who may be following the China-Africa relationship, particularly following the news today related to FOCAC. Kobus, before we get into our show today, I think it might be good just because this is the first. Show that we're doing on FOCAC for you to kind of help us step back a little bit, explain what is FOCAC, what is its history very briefly, and why is it important. Okay, FOCAC has grown into the the big. Um, every three years, taking place every three years, kind of big meeting place between China and、uh, most countries in Africa.、Um, so it's a, it takes the form of a massive leaders summit,、um, where a whole where both China's relationship with with the the whole continent is discussed and and shaped for the for the near future, and where a whole bunch of side deals also usually take place around the sidelines.、Um, so this is a place to look at if you're interested. In how Chinese aid and financing is going to be is going to run to, to Africa over the next while, it's also a very interesting place to to look out for geopolitical trends and how the relationship between China and Africa is is changing.、Um, it it is the prime the primary place to see. You know, to, to take the temperature of what the China-Africa relationship is like at the moment. I think that's a really nice way of saying it—to take the temperature and to help us take the temperature of the China-Africa relationship related to FOCAC.、Uh, we've invited one of the best people who knows more about this than than almost anybody that I know,、uh, Dr. Sven Grimm, who is a senior researcher and coordinator of the Rising Powers Program at the German Development Institute in Bonn. He's also the editor in chief of the journal. Of African East Asian affairs,、uh, you may also know him from his past at the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University in South Africa as well.、Uh, Sven, thank you so much, Sven. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having so me. So, Kobus kind of said it's taking the temperature of the China-Africa relationship, and if we look at the China-Africa relationship today. This FOCAC summit coming up December 2015 comes at one of the most interesting times. Uh, in the China-Africa relationship, because of the downturn in the Chinese economy and the effect, we've moved from the concern about what effect it will have to now we are seeing tangible negative economic consequences being felt in Africa related to the downturn in the Chinese econ- economy. So now, tell us a little bit about what you think will be some of the key themes emerging in the FOCAC related to the economy. Uh, it's very interesting times indeed, as you say, because we have to see Focac as the overall show on China-Africa relations. I don't mean it in pejorative terms. The overall、um, assembly of what is happening. 
we very often mix um, aid with investment and trade figures. Um, and all these three aspects plus geopolitical, political relations are re um, featuring in FOCAC. What we are seeing right now is a downturn in a couple of commodities and trade is affected specifically. Investment to some extent has uh, some more wobbly news, so to say. Um, in terms of aid, it remains to be seen what will be announced by the Chinese. And I think that mix of different elements where you can already see and sense some uh, negative trends makes for a bit more uh, attention and, if not anxiety, on, on some of the African side. Uh, I would think that the time of um, more and bigger projects, if not coming to an end now, is going to be happening in the next over the next years um, because it's simply not feasible for China to double its aid commitments every time that there's a FOCAC meeting as has been done in the past. It might happen again this time but you would have to have a closer look now if that is actually fresh money or whether it's compiling um, announcements that have already been made into um, sort of a narrative sort of structures that you give around it so that it becomes something that you can politically sell and justify. It seems to me that there's already some of that happening. It's, you know, kind of the last the last two weeks have seen this, this uh, essentially a copy and paste story coming from the South African government about how China has committed $50 billion in, in developing sub-Saharan African infrastructure floating around the internet. And, and it were, you know, kind of in, in that... In that story, it was impossible to see whether any of that money is new. Um, you know, kind yes. of, and it just it, there's just this kind of sum is just repeated and repeated all over again. Um, I was I was actually wondering also, you know, kind of how you see the the big announcements that, that Xi Jinping made in New York to the UN, um, you know, about a few weeks ago about large new, you know, kind of sums of money being promised to the AU for peacekeeping. Um, and for for other projects, like do do you feel that he did he essentially make his big announce his big FOCAC announcement already at the UN, or is do you foresee another big announcement coming at actual FOCAC? In the past rationale, he would have to give some new announcement at FOCAC. He can't just have sold it already in New York, so to say. Um, to me, it's interesting to see what actually will be put together then. And as I say, I do think it will be more difficult to just disentangle and say what's new, what's just lumping it together or putting it together in a, in a framework. It's similar with the Silk Road initiative that the Chinese are um, promoting at the moment where you have questions of how much is fresh money and how much is programs that you put together to give it more of an, of an impact. I think that Xi Jinping is very much aware of the power of numbers. So he will make an effort to actually give a nice new and big impressive number that's my suspicion that that 50 billion dollar number that the south african dti is putting out there was really a leak or an accidental leak that that may be part of the number that the the chinese are talking about and that could be potentially uh one of the numbers that comes out of focac we decided interestingly not to publish that story on any of our platforms because all of it came from a single source and also the announcement was m supposedly made by a vice minister, and typically China 
No government announces $50 billion programs at a junior level or a mid-level. And so that's why we thought there's something kind of fishy about that story, but it could very well be that it comes, uh, that it comes out. But it, Sven- in, in terms of the numbers, sorry, in terms of the numbers, it would be in line with the past announcement and doubling the announcement but, plus adding a little bit on top. Absolutely. But those announcements were made by the prime minister or by the president, but yes, not by exactly. a vice minister. And it would have to be done by him. Yes, That's right. Yes, at yes. a formal summit, not leaked out at, through, the D, through some DTI press release. Um, it was also it was also strange to see how all of these different it showed up in a surprising number of news platforms and very prominent ones. So like Bloomberg, for example, carried the story. Um, but, but with a single so source, though, to see there was all exactly, sourced back to the same place and almost almost exactly the same text. Like That's the text right. was essentially copied and pasted. So I, I, it was very difficult for me to see what was actually going on there. So Sven, you know, the fifty billion dollar story is one kind of of the the seeding of the ground, if you will. We're now in that kind of five to six-week kind of run-up to FOCAC when the Chinese will be trying to kind of lay out pieces of their agenda. We don't know actually what they're going to do, but we've seen a number of stories that are potentially coincidental. Maybe they're part of a strategy to kind of soften the ground. So the $50 billion story, who knows if that was real or if that was a leak. Uh, But there was another major, major story, the arrest on corruption charges of the infamous Africa dealmaker Sam Pa. Um, again, we don't know if that's tied to FOCAC as a way to kind of clean up China's house in Africa, or if it was that Sam Pa, there's allegations that he was tied uh, with uh, corruption in North Korea in the dealings that China has with North Korea, so he could have gotten swept up in there. There was also an announcement of a one-year ban on ivory imports uh, gained from trophy hunting. So it's a kind of another step that China's taking towards its all-out ban on ivory, which we, of course, heard the announcement earlier this year, but have not received any definitive date as to when that will be kicked in. I Am I kind of stringing together pearls that don't necessarily kind of go together, or do you see this as part of a series of events that may be gi- giving us an indication of some of the policy changes that will be coming in FOCAC? FOCAC is an assembly of quite a range of different policies. So all of that you would actually find again in FOCAC, or you can read into FOCAC if it's not mentioned uh, specifically. There will be something on cooperation in terms of finance and investment commitments, but you will also find aspects on judiciary cooperation, on peace and security policy, on education, on cultural cooperation, and on on, uh, scientific academic cooperation. So all of that is standard. Um, Environmental concerns have become higher, have gotten higher on the agenda. So the ivory story will be there, I guess. And it's quite a bit of uh, pressure also from the African side on that. So all of that can and will be related to FOCAC. But the, the, the key thing is that FOCAC is basically the big parcel that you have put together, the big package of all the activities, um, the key activities of the of the next four years that you that you uh, next three years, sorry, next three years that you see um, being presented, announced to the African audience. The, the key interesting point for me is that it's all very much at the rhetoric of equal partnership. But if you look at who's drafting the agenda. Who's drafting the um, uh, the the communique that will be issued in the end, and who is actually paying for all the announcement? It's very much on the heavy on the Chinese side, so that's where the package will have to be tied together. I have not seen any stock taking on the African side, any serious stock taking 
of what happened in the last three years or where the big issues with China are and what you should put out there for China. So what I hear in, in discussions with Chinese colleagues is very much a search for the African agenda. What can we re relate to? How can we make our package most adequate for the African context? And what I've seen um, is an occasional reference to the agenda 2063 of the African Union and trying to relate things that you are doing on the Chinese side to that agenda and say, here's what we are contributing to the African agenda 2063. Um, in, your, in some of your earlier writing, you, um, you called for Africa to have a more comprehensive China policy and also for African individual African countries to 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 coordinate a lot more you know kind of in their in their dealings in their, in their negotiations with with China do you foresee more of that happening at this focac and also do you like how does the Chinese economic downturn how does that change Africa's negotiation position in relation to China um it's a bit of two elements that you have in there. One is a problem of collective action on the African side. So as long as money is coming and um, the money is increasing, substantially increasing from turn to turn, you actually have relatively little incentives to coordinate on the African side because if you tell your neighbor how much you're getting, they there might be a bit more of an even uh, distribution. So in, in spreading the news too far is not a very clever um, strategy from the point of the administration of a specific country. Overall, the continent might be losing out on that. Um, but the second aspect is you can only push the Chinese side so far because, as I said, they're very much, they are the ones uh, stomaching the bill, so to say. They are the ones to provide the investment that actually gives return to China, so it's not just paying and not getting anything in change. Um, but they would actually be have they have to be able to generate the funding, and they have to have the political will to do so. So you can only push so far, and those two elements, a, a lack of coordination on the African side, and the de facto very unequal partnership, makes it difficult. I don't quite know how the. I, I wouldn't say that it's a, a, a substantial decrease of engagement, but it's a changing nature of the engagement. How that changing nature might change the, the stakes. I would not be too optimistic that it completely changes the game on the African side, so that Africa would be more proactive and getting its act together as a as a whole. Much well, more. money has a way of changing some of that. You know, the Financial Times came out this week with some new statistics uh, for the first time showing an 84% drop in year-on-year -year investment flows from China to Africa. Now, again, a lot of people mistake Chinese trade and investment. Investment has never been a major driver of the China-Africa relationship. They're seventh overall. They, they, the numbers are actually relatively small compared to the Americans, the Germans, the French, and, uh, and even the United Arab Emirates. So, but the point is, though, that we're seeing real tangible drops. Zambia is really starting to suffer now by the, the, the fall off in demand for, from China for iron ore. Uh, so that might change some of the African positions. But I wonder a little bit, going back to what you talked about, the package, and as you were talking about the overall package and the announcement in the communiques that will come out of FOCAC, how healthy is it that a FOCAC summit really depends on how big the Chinese check is? So at the end of the day, can you imagine 
if China doesn't decide, you know what, it's not really that good in our long-term interest to constantly be shelling out money, 20 billion, 30 billion, 40 billion, maybe 50 billion to Africa, what happens if we get to a FOCAC summit and it's a $5 billion, uh, you know, or it's no money? Um, you know, are we creating a codependent relationship here where Africans are showing up to the table because they know that China brings its big checkbook? I think the African side very often is just copying what it's used to in international negotiations uh, also with Western countries. At the end of the day, sticking points in negotiations most of the times are around financing and how big the chunk of money will be that is distributed to African countries. There are good reasons for having a look at the money because that is a major shortcoming on the African side, but it's not all. And I think that's where the relationship is sort of a replication of uh, north-south relations, even though it comes in a, in a very different disguise, so to say. But I, I'm, there would need to be, I think, I'm convinced that there would need to be a, a change in policy on the African side to look at for instance, at regulations and norms and of standards that you want to set and discuss those much more um, rather than just focusing on money. But the key thing that also hits the headlines because it's the, the easier thing to report is the money. And the African negotiator's side very often does focus on financial um, aspects. It's wrong, I think, but it's a, it's a fact. Um, you mentioned earlier um, the, you know, kind of the some of the difficulties around uh, quantifying what exactly is new in in one belt, one road. Um, you know, kind of the the initiative from China to to connect China overland and and uh, and across the sea to to foreign ports. Um, I was wondering how you think one belt, one road is gonna is gonna change the narrative um, in this FOCAC. I think this is the first FOCAC since the the real, you know, kind of one belt. One road, road really becoming central in, in Chinese, um, you know, foreign foreign planning. Um, how do you think it's going to impact on and, and change this focus this time around? It's not very tangible yet in terms of what the the um, One Belt One Road, the Silk Roads Initiative, actually what it means, what it entails. It does change to some extent the dynamics um, on, or the perception on the African side um, that the relationship of China to Africa is a, is a very exclusive one. It never was perceived as that on the Chinese side, but the African side very often sees it as uh, the closest link that, that China has with another region. It is both the China-Africa relations and this uh, One Belt, One Road, the Silk Roads, uh, is policy based on Chinese self-interest. And you have to plan with the Chinese self-interest. That's not necessarily bad because there might be areas where you have mutual gains. But as the other side of the negotiation, you would have to consider your own interests and you have to pursue your own interests. And I think that becomes more pronounced now, more obvious and on the on the Silk Road Initiative, it's a very clever, very cleverly um, uh, constructed thing um, by announcing five or six alternative routes, and thereby trying to build different actors into it, um, trying to raise some competition amongst potential partners so that they scramble to meet with the Chinese to be included, rather than you try to pu um, push it onto them. And it was pursued very much in the way of Chinese politics of 
the president making a big announcement and and then the administration sort of starts to scramble for filling it with life and making it uh, into into specific projects that you can pursue. Yeah, Having this more flexible approach, I think, helps to to just uh, avoid shortcomings. And if one route doesn't work out, then you go for the other one because this is through, through very different, uh, very difficult terrain that you want to construct trade linkages. I suspect, Cobus, that what we may also see is with the evolution of One Belt, One Road, particularly as it relates to the path that one of the pathways that we've seen, which is up from the port in Mombasa, along the east coast of Africa, past Djibouti, all the way into Egypt through the Suez Canal, is if in fact it does go along that route, infrastructure spending will be very strong in that part. And then even some military development may happen there as well, as we've heard the rumors of a base in Djibouti. And it may be the evolution of a new China-Africa policy in the sense that all countries will not be treated equally anymore, that China may start to emphasize certain regions far more than other regions. But I mean, it's a fact of life that's happening already. That's if right. you look at where the investment is going, it's very much Eastern and Southern Africa, and there's less uh, Western Africa with the exception of Nigeria and Ghana to some extent. So, I mean, the inequality of treatment, the interests, the inequality of the interests of China across the African continent is a, is a fact of life, and they might just become more honest about it or That's more right. blunt or more open about it. Well, it's interesting this year that the, the FOCAC summit is happening at the same, almost within six, seven weeks of the China, uh, I'm sorry, of the India-Africa summit. And India is really, you know, pushing very hard to say we are an alternative to China. And in some ways, it's very liberating and very exciting for a number of different African leaders and countries and policymakers who have, again, a, you know, a choice which they haven't had for a very long time, whether it's the Japanese with the TCAD summits, the Indians now and the Chinese and whatnot. Do you think when the Chinese convene in Johannesburg, in the back of their minds, they will be thinking about the increased competition for African attention and investment? They will always consider the global situation, and they are clever enough to think longer term ahead. So they're not looking at the current situation, but they're also looking at perspectives for the next five, ten years or longer. Um, so I do think that they do consider it, but I don't think they get very nervous about it. And I don't think you can make a scramble for Africa out of that because the Chinese have set their priorities quite clearly. India is increasing its um, activities, but it's uh, lagging quite far behind. There are others coming, and I think that African countries can have uh, more partners than the two big, uh, those two big ones plus the West. Um, but I don't think that any of that gets the, gets Beijing very nervous. Okay, well, I'd like to put both of you now on the spot and in an uncomfortable position, something that I know both of you don't like to do. Kobus, I'd like to start with you to give me one, maybe two predictions of what you think will come out of this year's FOCAC Summit. Uh, it's so difficult. Um. <laughs> Just a theme, an um, idea, a policy, um, you know, what are some of your predictions? Well, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the ro what the role is of South Africa. Um, and my my feeling is that it, it might well that it is planned to to be uh, a moment where South Africa's relationship with China is is taken to an even higher position than it is at the moment. Um, the fact that it's hosted in Johannesburg, the the way that that they've been working together so far. 
um, just that the themes and so on it does seem to to put South Africa in a very close alignment with with China um, at a moment when some other African countries, because of the Chinese downturn, have been saying, "Well, you know, let's not throw the West, let's not kick the West out of the bed." You know, um, so you know, kind of. So I think in, in terms of, I think it's going to position South Africa in a very interesting way, um, and then it'll be you know in relation to that it'll be. Um, very interesting to see how South Africans, how South Africa's press re- and and the, the public at large reacts to it, because I think there's quite a split um, in between, you know, between the South African government and, and the South African public at the moment. There's been for a while, but it, it's become very clear over the last week or two weeks um, with the, the large scale um, demonstrations of students against against uh, university fees. And uh, you know, kind of a, a very clear kind of schism between between the South African government and their traditional support base, um, and there is, I think, significantly more hostility towards China in among South African normal South Africans than there are among South African government employees. Um, so I th- that's what I would look for as well. It's like some kind of you know, kind of the, the the position of South Africa in relation to China being set and then maybe being undercut by, by actual South Africans. Okay. Uh, Sven, let me put the same question to you. One or two predictions of what you think will come out of FOCAC. It's been more easier for me because I had a bit more time to think. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there are two elements there from a, very much from a Chinese perspective. There would be more emphasis on uh, on regions in Africa, regional integration, regional organizations, infrastructure across regions. That's been a trend that's already been building up. So I do see that as a, as a bigger discussion, bigger discussion, and one of the possible wrappings of different activities. And the second big thing that happened this year is the agreement on the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, with more emphasis on environmental aspects, and that can come in various disguises. Um, as you've mentioned the ivory ban already, but there will be more to that, I think, and possibly investment in what the Chinese originally at one point called uh, soft infrastructure. The West calls it governance, but building up government capacities. Uh, possibly in the area of of the environment and environmental protection. I think those two elements. I would be very surprised if they don't come up. One of the themes that I'll one of the, that I'll kind of predict will will take place as well uh, is the greater prominence of Chinese private sector uh, actors. Uh, one of the interesting kind of characteristics of Xi Jinping's foreign diplomacy is the entourage that he's been bringing with him when he goes to different countries around the world. Uh, I've noticed this in the United States visit, in Russia, uh, most recently in the UK, where he, in his Boeing 747, is packing in Chinese CEOs. And one of the things that's been a, a, a theme of in Chinese press reports, this is Chinese language press reports that I've been reading, is how at the provincial level they're really pushing uh, private sector enterprises to do to invest. And part of it might be that the government in Beijing wants to start shifting the dynamics to be more a private sector relationship or have a stronger rep, uh, presence of Chinese private sector engagement in Africa than there currently is. So that takes a little bit of the burden off of the public sector carrying the full load. So I might, you might see the likes of Jack Ma from Alibaba and some of these celebrity Chinese CEOs, uh, particularly because it's in South Africa, 
Naspers is there as well, the you know famous WeChat and whatnot. So um, it might be. I would I would expect to see a prominent display of, of Chinese CEOs as well, who are also equally optimistic about Africa as the Chinese will per, portray themselves to be. It's actually it's actually one of the interpretations of what might happen when the uh, the going gets rougher in China that the private sector is seeking. Uh, activities elsewhere. I've read that in, in, in commentaries on FOCAC and what might happen, that the private sector actually in itself might seek new opportunities abroad. So while you have less public money possibly that could be spent, uh, the private um, would want to, to uh, capture new markets and new um, private enterprises would want to capture new markets. Well, that seems to be bearing it out. I mean, Cobus and I, we look at the headlines every day. And one of the things that we comment to each other is how there has been no slowdown whatsoever in the massive number of announcements coming out of Chinese investments, Chinese engagement, Chinese economic partnerships. You know, all the deals are still rolling on at a very fast pace. So we might, as Sven heard, you know, said, see actually a benefit to Africa with the Chinese slowdown as Chinese companies look for growth outside of China because their domestic market is not going to give them the returns that they need. And Africa still has some of the world's fastest growing economies. Sven, thank you so much for joining us today. It is always an education for us when you come on the show. Um, we'd always want to remind people of how they can stay in touch with you and how they can follow what you're doing these days. I know that you're increasingly active on Twitter. What is your Twitter uh, name and handle? It's at Grim underline Sven. Excellent. And Kobus, you always are active with us on social media. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Um, you'll see me on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And there we curate this 24-hour stream of China Africa-related news items. And also I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. Well, so you can follow both Sven and and Encobus uh, online. And just a reminder that uh, Sven is the senior researcher and coordinator at uh, the coordinator of the Rising Powers Program at the German Development Institute in Bonn. I'm going to say something very silly here, and I'm probably the only one who knows thinks this is funny, but the acronym for the German Development Institute is DIE. Does anybody else think that's funny in Germany? Um, we've had that a million times, okay. but we stick I to just, the German just, It just yes. seems completely <laughs> ironic that DIE, I mean, that, of course, is the German acronym, is for a development limits, institute, but okay, you know. Limits choice of Twitter accounts, it limits the choice of your email address because you can't put die bon or die development. Yeah, that would be a little bit uh, a little bit awkward. And so, uh, well, Sven, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to follow us, again, as Kobus mentioned, Facebook is the best way. Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We're updating that site every, uh, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We also have a newsletter that goes out every Monday. Uh, it's an excellent resource if you just want a little sampling of the top stories of the week, four to five stories that come into your inbox. And finally, if you are interested in FOCAC, uh, we've got this excellent website, if we do say so ourselves, at reporting-focac, that's F-O-C-A-C.com. It's uh, got some great resources there, some excellent writing from some of the leading China-Africa scholars. And and the, the piece de resistance for me is this Twitter page that has Sven's Twitter, it has Kobus's Twitter, it's got my own, but all the top China-Africa people on Twitter are there on a single page and you can follow their tweets. It's, it's actually a little bit mesmerizing, so we invite you to check that out. We'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>